Hello and welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast. My name is John Costello. I'm the publisher of Rappaport and I'm joined today by the editorial team, uh, which includes Avi Kravitz. Hi, Avi. Hi, John. Nice to speak to you again. And we have Joshua Friedman. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. So last but not least, we have Leah Merovich. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Good to be here. Good. So time to look back over the last dreaded 12 months. Um, I think we all will have lots of things to talk about. Some good, some bad, probably. Um, let's look back, um, Avi. Uh, from a personal point of view, you know, we've been working uh, remotely since uh, the end of March. Um, and we've been plowing away, doing our magazine, doing our podcasts, writing news stories. Um, how did COVID affect you from a personal point of view? And did you use the the extra time you had because there's no commuting, et cetera? Did you use it to uh, pursue any personal goals? Yeah, I mean, it, it's been an interesting, uh, for everyone, it's been an interesting year. And um, for me, it, it was kind of interesting how seamlessly we we transitioned to remote working. I'm not sure if it's ideal yet, um, you know, because I, I, I desperately miss the interaction of the of the team in the office and working together towards that deadline. But um, but certainly before COVID um, uh, spread and we moved to remote working, I, I moved to a new city and, and my, my commute became a good hour, hour and a half commute. And I, I kind of got used to it and was enjoying it for, for a few months. Then when we started working from home, I, um, I didn't have to commute anymore and I realized how much extra time I had. I have been enjoying that extra time in the morning and extra time in the evening to relax and uh, sometimes start work a bit a bit earlier than I would have um, otherwise. And um, and you know I, I tried my best to to fit more um, productive things into my day. And um, you know I, I took I, I took advantage of um, the GIA's offer to do their essentials course, which was very interesting. So I, so I managed to finish the you know the jewelry diamond and colored stone essentials um program of theirs and i highly recommend them to 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 everyone so i guess from a from a personal slash professional point of view i managed to increase uh increase my knowledge a little bit about the about the trade and um yeah so i i feel like it was used somewhat productively and leah what about you being at home with the dog the children and the husband, in no order of importance there. Um, have you been surviving uh, working from home? Well, it's been interesting. I've actually uh, had to relearn sixth and eighth grade math because I've become a teacher to my school-aged children, which uh, was not what I had set out to do. Um, it's been a little crowded here in the house, but I actually uh, enjoy sleeping in a little bit in the morning and the lesser commute that we have now. But like Avi, I also miss the interaction of the office. I actually went in one day to get my computer fixed and was met by Sonia on the same day. And we were so excited to actually see each other for the first time in about half a year. So it was nice. Sonia being our editor-in-chief, who unfortunately isn't with us today. So Joshua, what did you learn over your time? Working from home. Well, uh, I I learned a few things. Uh, one of them is that commuting is very tiring, and it saves a lot of energy not to be commuting. Um, a bit like Avi, I also moved just before the lockdown. I moved to a new city, 
Um, so I, I had become accustomed over you know, over a couple of months to to spend a good three hours every day on a on a bus or a train. Um, so it really saves energy to be able to just walk into my uh, into my home office in the morning and walk out in the evening. I uh, I got to spend more time with my with my family, with my wife and kids. I also learned to to cut my own hair and to cut my kids' hair, which uh, saves a lot of time, money, effort, and uh, certainly enabled me to uh, to avoid that uh, the the Beatles look that I'd uh, got used to when I've uh, when I can't be bothered to go to the barber. So, uh, so I think there've been some beneficial things, and I, I would echo what Avi said that we did move very smoothly to remote working. I think that maybe partly comes from the fact that we've been work- a lot of us have been working together in a team for well over a year, if not several years. I wonder how it is for teams that that don't know each other so well to to work together from home. I can imagine it must be a a lot more challenging. Yeah, I think it's very interesting that because of the situation, um, it just proves how adaptable people can be, um, how adaptable teams can be. Um, but obviously, as you mentioned, those teams need to be, you know, able to work remotely and also have a, a good um, good dynamic as well for it to be successful. So look, I think we all saw as we're looking at our computer screens, checking the news, listening to podcasts and kind of keeping up to date with um, news releases and media releases. I mean, the industry, we're just constantly seeing change um, over the last number of months due to Corona. And it's kind of put rocket boosters uh, on kind of the speed of change uh, because companies just have been forced to adapt. Um, One big change has really been the drive to digital. I think we've been commenting um, over the last number of years while looking at the industry, saying our industry has been a little bit of a laggard uh, in terms of embracing technology uh, throughout the pipeline. And one thing that we've seen um, through Corona is those companies that have been ahead of the game in terms of digital strategy and the embracement of digital technology have um, either fared well, have either fared well or offset the downsides that Corona has uh, has brought upon their their business model, and we've seen those who don't have a strong digital pre- presence either be hit badly, um, or else use this time to to quickly um, upgrade um, their technology um, and their ability to conduct business um, online. Joshua, have have you seen? Um, Anything specific, any any companies, any trends that kind of highlight that move to digital, for example, online jewelry shopping, online uh, diamond shopping? Yes, many. Um, I uh, I think that's one thing that I wanted to point out, which is the way that jewelry retailers have been managing their inventory. Uh, so uh, the, the move to digital has offered ways to... Uh, to, to sell to consumers without holding too much diamond inventory. Um, and that's actually a major trend we've seen this year, that the retailers have, have destocked, um, are only buying what they need, um, which has made life perhaps harder for diamond suppliers because they are no longer able to, to sell on bulk like they might have been able to uh, in the past. Um, but despite that, the 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 midstreams and the manufacturers of diamonds, the dealers, have actually fared extremely well this year. Um, there's been a major 
destocking in the midstream. Uh, they the the crisis that we saw in last year in 2019, uh, where 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 the the midstream had too many diamonds, they had too much diamond inventory. Uh, that has not occurred this year because there was quite a lot of um, there was a, a good holiday season a year ago. Um, so they've actually been in a in a they entered the year they entered 2020 in a good position, um, and they managed to they managed to get through it reasonably well despite obviously the very difficult um, end of first quarter and, and second quarter. Um, and this is all in the context of. Uh, of, of retailers taking on uh, taking on less inventory. And Leigh, I'm sure you were like hordes of people clicking your mouse like crazy on uh, Black Friday and uh, Cyber Monday. Um, how did the online sales go uh, for the jewellery and, and, and diamond industry over that time? And how did it compare to footfall um, in bricks and mortar stores and, and, and malls uh, around the uh, the USA and, and, and globally? Well, I was actually surprised by the number of people that were willing to purchase jewelry online. I think that um, according to reports we had from Adobe and from the National Retail Federation, it seems that jewelry inside brick and mortar stores, sales dropped quite a bit, about 50%, because people just weren't coming out to stores to buy anything. But in terms of online, jewelry sales rose quite a bit. They more than tripled in a lot of cases. And I know that uh, many of the jewelry stores and the jewelers that I've spoken to said that they were seeing just a, a large amount of online purchasing in higher amounts than they would have had for an average sale had people actually come into the store to buy. Interesting. And, and Abby, I, I think, uh, you know, we've been following Signet um, over the, the last couple of years and looking at uh, the company as it tries to evolve and, and transform itself. But it appears um, from their latest figures that their transition to a more robust kind of digital um, kind of way of doing business has, has really helped them uh, because of Corona, and they've been well positioned to take uh, advantage of that. Yeah, I mean, the the um, there, we we do get a sense that the majors are um, more prepared or, or geared towards um, towards uh, handling this the 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 pandemic situation or you know a lockdown um, better than than the re- you know your independent um, jewelers. As Signet, um, before when was it about two, two or three years ago, made the decision to invest heavily in their in their omni-channel program. Um, you know, that ability to combine online and in-store sales um, through technology, and um, and they bought um, they bought James Allen and R two Net. Which um, really up, so they really upped their game, and that was because they felt you know the, their sales were lagging, and and there was this um, pivot to digital already back then. But the um, and, and so that that positioned them well, I think, for for 2020 when uh, when they really had to rely on that. But it wasn't only digital; it was you know embracing all types of remote um, remote selling and marketing, um, you know um, having um ha- having curbside pickup for example and and doing that in a seamless way appointment only appointment only um selling or or and um 
and also giving their their sales team um, the tools to 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 work from home and um, and follow up on a you know bring a sort of a personal touch to um, to their relationship with their with their customers and so so it seems that they they've been quite successful in pulling that off they had a very good third quarter um, and uh, and so yeah as I said there is a sense that the the majors have been able to gain a bit of market share through the uh, through this um, period and um, and those drillers who are not geared to digital, you know, and that includes from a marketing point of view and from a administration point of view, um, you know, investing in their, you know, creating a platform and and engaging with customers online, and um, those that have not um, invested in the in those sort of programs are definitely falling behind. And Joshua, I remember you writing a piece about the virtual uh, JCK show which I believe took place in, in August uh, in lieu of a, a real-world event happening. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, these big shows, whether it's Hong Kong or JCK, can they, number one, take place this year, and hopefully with the rollout of a vaccine, um, their chances are improving. But will the appetite still be there for, for people to spend time and money to travel to these shows? Because a, a, a lot of business has just gone on. I think one remarkable um, success story has to be the auction houses, um, that they've continued to hold auctions uh, on pure digital platforms, and they seem to have been quite successful. Um, First, what are your thoughts, Joshua, on, on the auction houses and their ability to kind of ride the, the digital wave uh, in these corona times? And, and what do you think of the chances of, of the big shows returning as, as they were um, in 2021? So on the, on the auctions, um, I would say their, their performance has been maybe mixed uh, this year. Obviously, at the beginning of the year, a lot of the a lot of the big auctions, the big events were cancelled. But there have been some decent sales in the second half of the year. But we still haven't seen the blockbuster, big stone sales that that we've seen in previous years. The 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 fifty million dollar uh, stones. Um, so things are things are still a little a little muted. Although they have been able to hold physical uh, physical sales. In terms of the trade shows, it's still very unclear. Um, and John, as you say, the the vaccine will be quite a major factor but the interesting thing with trade shows is that it's only worth going to a show if other people are going to be going to the show so there's maybe this danger that unless ev until everything's perfect maybe this is not, it's not worth going to a show at all because your clients have to be there for it to be worthwhile the the march hong kong show which is a, one of the more important shows of the year that's already been cancelled or postponed at least to 2021 march 2021 and they've delayed it to the summer but it's not clear if that's going to happen there's you know every market is different and hong kong is in a particular situation where a lot of its economy is low, is is reliant on outside people coming in from outside so they they so uh you know, has the added challenge that they need to make sure they don't suffer a major outbreak uh, you know, outbreak when all these people come from around the world but uh i think it's still very unclear i think people at the same time are itching to go to these shows um, I think everyone's fed up of of selling from you know selling remotely. There have been some some shows already. Uh, they've been you know pretty quiet. Uh, there was a domestic show in Hong Kong a couple of weeks ago. There was one in Italy uh, a couple of months ago. But as I say, I think it will be a while until we really see trade shows 
happening like they used to. But if if twenty if twenty twenty has taught us one thing, it's to expect the unexpected. And Leo, when you're talking to uh, jewelers and looking at the, the retail sector, it has been relatively easy for us as a team, i.e. the, the Rappaport Publishing Division, to, to pivot to remote working and continue to produce um, our daily news, our magazines, our email blasts, etc., because of the nature of what we do. Do have jewelers found it as easy? Um, has it posed cha- challenges and are, are, are they managing to, you know, when things are locked down to be able to, you know, continue to do some type of business uh, remotely? Well, John, I think it actually, it, it's been, of course, challenging for them, especially the ones who didn't have working websites or who might have had websites that just showed some of their jewelry, but didn't actually sell through their websites. I think the problem with the smaller independent jewelers is that they don't like to do online sales. They prefer to do sales in the actual store because they think that uh, they'll do better sales that way. It's all about schmoozing the customer and, you know, letting him know or her know what the jewelry is and how, where it came from and everything about it and why they need to purchase it. And that's to them what makes the actual sale, but they really had to rethink this. And I think, They've been quite innovative about it. And one of the things that they've done is they've actually used Zoom as a tool to sell, where it's sort of a mixture between a live sale and a digital sale, where they'll make appointments with customers to call in and actually speak with an individual salesperson over a Zoom call who will take them around the store on Zoom and show them different products, ask them what they're interested in, give them advice. And it's been really working out well for them. A lot of them have seen higher sales during months when you wouldn't expect it that they would have otherwise. That's interesting. An innovative way to kind of use Zoom and your, your website uh, maybe maybe lacking the ability to actually go into the products and zoom in and see kind of uh, videos or imagery. So that's 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 interesting. Avi, do you think um, this has fundamentally changed uh, our sector? Do you see things returning to business as usual after the pandemic? Or do you think certain things that have changed have fundamentally changed forever? Sure, that, that's the, the million-dollar question. Um, look, I think the, the, a lot of the changes that have taken place were happening anyway. You know, for example, that that, um, that move to that embracement or, or embracing of digital, the trade was getting on board, but, um, but COVID certainly accelerated the, the change. So from that point of view on... You know, I think I think there will be a lasting effect on on many of the the changes that have that have taken have taken place, and and I think the big the big change that that we've experienced has been that people are are more accustomed now to buy diamond diamonds and diamond jewelry online, and um, and engage with people with with each other. Um, for that purchase um, remotely, and so I think that there will be a, an aspect of that will linger on, and will be it will be a new normal. But I think there will be a return, at, you know, at some point to um, in-person shopping. People do people like to shop. People like to engage with each other in the same way as as Joshua alluded to at the trade shows, and people like to network. This is a this is a connections business, you know that. Um, 
it was always built on a handshake type of thing. And so if that becomes a fist bump, they still want to see, people still want to see each other and, and, um, and, and share and uh, create new experiences, both on a trade level and also on a, at, at the retail level. So I think there will be a lasting effect. We will, for the long term, have a greater portion of diamonds sold online or through e-commerce. But it won't be. I, I think. I think 2020 would be a bit of a peak year in terms of the percentage of the total that's done uh, of business that's done through um, through through e-commerce. It won't stay that high. I think we will return um, gradually um, to uh, to more in-person and, and personal shopping and personal trading as well. We'll we'll, we'll get back to that. If it's not a handshake industry, it'll be a fist bump or 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 not. But um, certainly, people want to exchange business cards again. Yeah, one of the interesting, uh, and uh, I suppose one thing that we may not have expected was that for the the diamond engagement ring to be really the shining star and the shining performer of 2020. And I think that came about from people who found themselves uh, shacked up together in their apartment or or house, and uh, people started to reevaluate. Um, you know, the relationships, what they valued, and, you know, a lot of couples decided to to formalize their relationship. When it comes to looking at values, I think a lot of people did reassess um, how they prioritize things. And we've seen a kind of a breakthrough uh, in terms of people thinking more about ethics, uh, more about the kindness economy. I know, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, Facebook posts and tweets encouraging people to shop locally and i think that's where a lot of local retailers have had the opportunity to to build that relationship with their 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 local community and 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 strengthen that bond do do you think that this kindness economy uh has had a a a big and and lasting impact on the diamond and jewelry sector i really think it has i think that a lot of people now are caring more about not only where their diamonds come from, which we've seen in the past, but also about what the people who are selling them are doing to help others in their community. And they've been embracing the smaller local retailers a lot more, especially those who are giving back. I think that they expect businesses now to support a cause or to stand for something. And they're looking to see which businesses do that and There have been studies from the Boston Consulting Group, actually, that state that surveys of people they have asked have said that they would actually not buy from a retailer who didn't support a cause that they believed in and would go out of their way to buy from a retailer who did support that cause. So I think that's going to play more of a part moving forward as people become more aware of social causes and want the things that they buy to do good. Interesting. And Joshua, we saw the, the return in a big way of generic marketing, especially um, in the run-up to, to Christmas. Can you talk a, a little bit about that? And, and, and do you think it, it will have a, an impact on the industry and in, in kind of building sales and, and building the, the profile of, of diamonds? Yeah, so 2020 was supposed to be a... Uh... A major year of change for for generic diamond you know, generic diamond marketing for category marketing um the what was the the diamond producers association um hired a new ceo just at the end of the end of last year david kelly um and 
uh, he rebranded the the organization as the Natural Diamond Council. Uh, they have a they they took on a whole new way of of doing things. They they became a publisher of of information about about natural diamonds. Uh, and the, the one of the probably the most interesting thing they did this year was uh, was launch a new video commercial, a new a new advertising campaign featuring Anna de Armas, who will be in an upcoming uh, Bond film. And the initial, from, for at least from what they say, from, from what the NDC says, that the, the initial response has been um, very, uh, very positive. But the, it's, it's a bit of a, it's a new direction. Um, the idea is to take a more relaxed approach to diamonds. I mean, it's, it's been said to the death that uh, in the past, the diamond was bought by the man for for the for the fiance um fiance with you know the, the two e's at the end and and it's changing and it's it's the the, the the connotations that diamond has the diamonds have are changing um more women are buying for themselves and it's just becoming less of a maybe a stuffy thing less of a formal thing um, and they've reflected that a lot and based on what we see based on the marketing information that we get that seems like the the correct track, and that it seems, it seems that it will be successful. Uh, with all as with all these things, we we won't know for months, if not years. But my first impression is that they seem to be doing a an effective job, and it's something that the industry has been calling out for for a long time. It's a, a good generic marketing campaign. You know, it's been famous now that De Beers used to have their diamonds forever, and then they 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 dropped off. They dropped out of generic marketing for obvious reasons because they were just they they, they, were, they no longer have a monopoly over the market and it was no longer it was no longer sensible for them from a business perspective to fund other people's diamond marketing. Um, uh, but what's going on now seems to be a, a reasonable solution. I'm sure people will still complain about it, um, but uh, I think we'll be very curious to see the results in uh, in in a year or two. Speaking about complaining, Avi. Uh... We we had criticized uh, the uh, the former organization before it rebranded as NDC, and you know I I written a, about it as well, and and, and saying that the, the, they seem to be disconnected from the the industry at large, and even though uh, they're funded by the the big mining companies, the beers, Arosa, etc that they really didn't uh, seem to make a connection, a meaningful connection with the actual grassroots industry, whether it be uh, diamond dealers or diamond retailers. The the NDC has been looking to change that in terms of uh, making its mission uh, to publish educational material and to kind of reach out more directly to the industry. Uh, I know you have interviewed their, their new chief executive. Do you think the changes have... Um, made it made a difference john as uh, as joshua um mentioned they it feels like the the natural diamond council is a much more accessible and approachable organization um you know they they've really softened their tone and, and david kelly the the ceo said that that's that's their goal is to to soften the message to um bring a more feminine tone and fun tone and um interactive tone to their to their uh, messaging to the consumer I, I almost said to the computer and it's almost true as well because a lot of their their activity is 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 digital obviously and 
and the big change that, that happened was that they became a publishing a publisher a publisher of content and so instead of um you know trying to figure out these campaign these seasonal campaigns or or, or or you know create these buzz uh, sort of videos and and stories um they which which they still they still do but the real work is on a continual basis you know through their websites um and 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 their activity on social media especially is to engage with the consumer on a, um through content and the, their content is very is very good it's very um it's very informative and and, and uh, easy to read, enjoyable read as well. So that's their their main focus. So, so whether they're more engaged with the with the trade, I think um, they've definitely been looking to uh, involve the trade more. You know, for example, they have their trend book um, that they brought that they brought out and introduced um, in the second half. It's the first time that they they presented um, their their trend their trend forecast for the um, for the holiday season. And the idea was not to tell people what to, what to buy, but it's a, it's really a, their, their message to the trade was to get on board and look and and take note of what those trends are, and also sort of align their you know their activity with those trends, so that we can really make it a an industry wide effort to to raise the demand for the for that type of diamond or that type of jewelry you know and that's a similar sort of approach that you see in the fashion industry for example um and so the message to the trade is that they're not a standalone organization that we can sort of critique from the outside but it's one where they really they want to engage with the whole industry to um, or, and and they want the whole industry to be on board with their messaging you know, including to soften, you know, as individual companies, we can all soften and, and soften our tone in our messaging um, to be more consumer friendly. Adleya, 2020 proved to be uh, not only a difficult year in terms of the pandemic, uh, but a difficult year, especially in the, the key market of the diamond and jewelry business, which is the USA. It was a year where there was a presidential election that seemed to have fragmented uh, America um, along party political lines. And also we had the rise of the the Black Lives Matter uh, protests and and movement. How has that spilled over into an industry that is not that, I suppose, multicultural and, you know, tends to be male dominated as as well? Has, Has that... The Black Lives Matter and, and kind of the the move to uh, bring more women uh, into senior positions and, and women as leaders in, in all industries. Has that been felt in the diamond and jewelry sector? Actually, it has. I think that the move to bring women in has been in action for a while, but I think that people, uh, Black, Indigenous and people of color, the BIPOC, have been overlooked for quite a while. And I think that it the move towards wanting more acknowledgement has probably been brewing for a while, but the death of George Floyd, a black man at the hands of the police, was in essence the tipping point that they needed to sort of come out of their shell and say, you know, we we matter too and we want to be seen in the same way that all other jewelers are seen. 
And we had an open letter actually from a black jeweler in the UK, Cassandra Gordon, who operates her own independent jewelry line. And she was saying that she's experienced quite a lot of racism in the industry in general, and that she also doesn't feel like she's had the same opportunities. And that was backed up by the formation of the BIPOC movement, which was signed by 27 different jewelry designers in the U.S. And I actually spoke with a number of them for a story that I'm doing for the magazine. And many of them feel minimized. They feel like they don't see very many of themselves. They all know each other because it's such a small community that they automatically zone in on somebody who looks like them in the industry. But I think it's a bigger problem at its root. It's not just about the lack of opportunities. It's about the fact that many people, many Black people, Indigenous and people of color don't even know that the jewelry industry is an option for them because they're not educated about it. They come from lower income households that really don't have access to the luxury industry. And they have not had any kind of culture that would bring them into touch with it. And what the movement is trying to do now is to gain support by the industry in general, which has actually stepped up quite a bit, and to start grassroots efforts to educate young students about a potential career in the industry and to try and find equality and mentorship grants, scholarships for Black and for all BIPOC members so that the industry is a little more colorful than what it is right now. And fingers crossed that uh, it will live beyond just 2020 and move into 21 and, and be successful because I, I think I'm sure everyone agrees, at least in cyber uh, space that we're talking on now, that uh, diversity is, is always a good thing, especially for an industry which is based on creativity as well and design. So uh, hopefully they, they will succeed. Um, Joshua, riddle me this. What was your uh, favorite story of the year so far? Well, my favorite story of the year. Um, there's a lot to a lot to choose from. Um, I'm going to mention something that I pointed out earlier on, which is the issue of the flow of diamonds through the through the industry. I think what we, we've seen one of the stories of of 2020 has been the the strategy of the of the mining companies in the face of the crisis that came about as a result of the coronavirus um namely that they have held back their supply of rough diamonds into the market in an almost unprecedented way i mean 2019 was similar because there was a, a different type of crisis but rough diamond sales in the first half of 2020 were almost non-existent at least from february march onwards there were some of the De Beers site, one of the De Beers sites was even cancelled. And we had, you know, our rows are selling things like $50 million um, in in a month, which is just completely unheard of. Um, you know, they're usually selling, you know, $300, $400 million of, of rough. And what that has led to is an incredible realignment of, uh, of inventory in the trade. So as I mentioned before, the manufacturers that in, in the past were holding goods um, and this has caused a lot of problems from in the past liquidity problems and general general problems that come with uh, with with an oversupply of polished prices falling they really have managed to 
to rationalize uh, their stocks a lot more and have fared relatively well um which brings us to the the um a bit of a a prediction or a question for next year which is with Alrosa and De Beers probably holding a good 60 million carats of di- of diamonds close to that between them that's just a, that's just an estimate or just a guess really um but it's in the, probably in the region of 50 60 million carats of diamonds of rough diamonds how are they going to sell those um and when are they going to sell those and at some point there's going to be a release of goods onto the market and is the industry prepared for that um, so I think that's something to look out for next year. And it's also a, a major trend that has happened this year. Interesting. Uh, Avi, any stories that uh, picked your interest uh, over the last uh, number of months? Yeah, well, well, it was such a busy year, you know, in, t- in terms of our news coverage. But um, my favorite story was actually actually broke in 2019. But the drama unfolded this year that um, uh, last year um, LVMH um, and uh, agreed to buy Tiffany and t- or, or Tiffany agreed to buy to be bought by LVMH. And um, and as the pandemic um, uh, and the lockdowns unfolded. LVMH re- re- reneged on basically reneged on the, on, on that deal, and um, and uh, there was a sense that they felt they overpaid for Tiffany, and uh, you know it's, it, these things are often based on a, on a share price as well. But there in, ensued a a bit of a dogfight between the two luxury companies, um, and uh, I, I think everyone I, I've never I haven't hidden the fact that I'm a bit of a Tiffany groupie, and uh, I always. Look forward to seeing what they're doing in terms of their branding and their marketing and and things like that. So, so I I, I wasn't um, excited that the deal eventually took took hold or, or that the um, the deal was happening initially, and because I was always a proponent of a, of an independent um, Tiffany, and I think it'll still be interesting to see what happens under the LVMH banner. But um, long story short, there were there these. There was a back and forth of, of sometimes quite nasty rumors and nasty press releases as well, um, one accusing the other. Um, and then suddenly we, um, you know, sort of out of the blue, but not unexpected, um, they agreed, they settled their differences before going to, before it went to court. And um, they agreed to a slightly lower price. Uh, what, what I think they, they saved about uh, they saved 420 million on the deal, and you know the original deal was 16.2 billion, and they they, they shaved um, just you know 420 million off of that. So it, it led to that question of what was this all about really? Um, and uh, and there were so many layers to the drama, but so it was kind of fun to watch and 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 interesting to cover. Um, for, for you know, in terms of the uh, turmoil of our news coverage in 2020, big brands behaving badly, huh? <laughs> so, Leah, what, what story was your favorite of the year? I think more than uh, my favorite of the year, it's more an interesting trend that I've noticed, and something that um, I think will change the industry quite a bit is more in the auction houses. And the way that they've been selling this year, uh, Sotheby's Hong Kong sold a 102.39 carat diamond, which is actually one of only eight deflawless or internally flawless diamonds over 100 carats that have ever been sold at auction, 
without a reserve price, which uh, I think probably would have never been done prior to this crazy year that we've had. And while the diamonds didn't sell for as much as they expected it to, it only, uh, I say only, but it brought in about 16 million. They were expecting it to sell for quite a lot more. And Diacor, who sold the stone, a manufacturer who was the seller of the stone, actually took quite a big risk in selling it that way. And it could have reaped them really, you know, a really big reward. And while it didn't pay off as well as they want to, I think that the fact that they were willing to do this, whereas prior to COVID, I don't think that they would have, I think is going to change the future of how people sell stones at auction and the way that they're sold. And, you know, I think it's led to a lot of innovation that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Okay, interesting, Bill. Watch that and the impacts of it as we enter into the new year and beyond. Abby, to, to wrap up, I, I'd like to get your thoughts on what awaits us in 2021. For those of you who don't know, Abby is the editor of our Rock Report Research Report, which is our, our, our monthly subscription, our monthly subscription report looking into the industry in depth and also looking at our RapNet data and featuring RapNet data. Um, so I think Avi, more than any of us uh, sitting around here, um, is probably best place to, to, to look at, at the, the figures, the trends and, and try to plot together uh, what he sees happening in 2021. So, so Avi, what are your thoughts? Can, can you predict the, the future for us? Um, <laughs> I, I wish I could. Um, I think we can expect a calmer year. I don't think we can um, expect that uh, that things are just, you know, immediately going to get back to normal. Um, I think uh, I think what what's happened is that over time, uh, you know, people and 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 businesses are are learning to cope and 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 navigate this situation that we all find ourselves in. And so I think that's what's, what 2021 is going to be uh, about, is, you know, as, as governments and pharmaceuticals roll out the vaccine, it'll still take some time for the pandemic to, to, to flatten and to, to reduce the infection, uh, the, you know, the infection rate. Certainly, uh, I think within the, within the first half of, um, of, of 2021, and in fact, I, I was listening to a podcast with um, with Bill Gates, who, who said that um, he expects, uh, you know, that we'll still be feeling the effects of of the of the pandemic, and uh, you know, we we shouldn't expect that return to normalcy until the, the first quarter of 2022. I think he said, but um, but I think we 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 can expect the the diamond and jewelry trade to be able to operate. In a in a co- more confident way because we become accustomed to the situation, um, and then the second fact is that you know the la- the numbers were were so low in 2020 that we can that we we we're going to be basing our growth on a on a low base, so so we can I think expect some growth in terms of um, you know in terms of sales versus 2020 next year. Um, but it's it's still it's still going to be more of the same, I think, in terms of being cautious, um, an emphasis on e-commerce and uh, and 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 remote uh, remote doing business on a in a in a remote way. Okay, 
Thanks, Avi, for that insight. Uh, I think uh, I definitely agree. And um, but I do think we should focus on the fact that things will start to get better, we hope, um, slowly but surely. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Leah, uh, Joshua and Avi for, number one, their dedication to, to looking at the trends, bringing, bringing news stories and, and, and writing feature articles uh, to keep us all informed and in tune with what's happening around us. And uh, I know they'll look forward to doing the same uh, in 2021. So I'd like to thank them. Uh, for participating in this podcast and their work in general. So thank you, folks. Thank you, John. And I'd like to wish uh, all our listeners, all our customers, subscribers, uh, and readers, and and anyone else <laughs> around the globe and in America, in Israel, in India, uh, wherever anyone has listened to us. I'd like to wish everyone a very happy new year, um, happy holidays, and uh, I really wish uh, 2021 will be uh, a, a great year and uh, a vast improvement on the past 12 months. All the best. Goodbye.